Hello and welcome to the St. James Podcast. Thanks for joining me, my name's Mike, uh, to read this week's gospel story and to reflect on some of its content and meaning. Now as I record this, our region remains in the red zone and we're watching at this time an increase in COVID variant cases. And many of us are fearful of another lockdown, in particular those who are isolated and struggling. So I do ask you today, uh, if you're able to make an extra phone call or check in on a neighbour who might need some human connection and encouragement and comfort. Because that's how faith and love in action can best be seen and experienced in these difficult days. At St James we're trying to remain in touch with one another and plan ahead. We recently announced two walking tours scheduled for June, public health guidelines permitting. And we're getting ready for Easter, when we will have a service online each day of the week through Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, which is the 28th of March, we have a Eucharist at 9.30am. Then Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday evening, there's Compline, that's night prayer, live streamed on Facebook at 8.30pm. On Maundy Thursday, there'll be a service at 7pm and we'll be live streaming a service where we remember the washing of feet and the institution of the Eucharist. And then on Good Friday at 9.30am, we'll be reflecting together on the meaning of the cross. Easter Sunday, we'll see a service at 9.30am, including the blessing of a new Paschal candle, which is a symbol in the heart of our church building of the light of the risen Christ present with us. And you can find all this information and more on our website at www.stjamesdundas.ca. Now today, for our Gospel, we're turning to a passage from St John. When we listen to Scripture or read it, there are all sorts of ways to let it speak to us, for us to engage with the words. Importantly, of course, is that we pray and focus on the words, get ourselves into a headspace where we're really listening to what's being said. And then to pull out words or phrases that strike us, and to dwell with those words or phrases and their meaning for a while. Of course, we can also take the story as a whole and see if there's a larger meaning at play. And sometimes it helps to situate the story in the flow of a gospel to see what's happening in the grander scheme of the story. And with that in mind, we turn today to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 12, verses 20 to Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain, but if it dies it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me the Father will honour. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. 
The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Now, among those who study the Gospels, a kind of structure emerges when we look at the enigmatic fourth Gospel. St. John has a prelude, an introduction, that famous uh, passage that begins, In the beginning was the word. And of course, at the end, there's the passion and resurrection narratives. But the bulk of this Gospel is divided into two middle sections. The first, sometimes called the Book of Signs, literally Jesus performing signs that point to who he is and who God is and what is happening in his life and ministry. So those signs, and generally they're broken into seven, are considered like the, the changing of water into wine, or the healing the royal official's son at Capernaum, healing the paralytic at Bethesda, feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, healing a man born blind in chapter 9, and the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. The second section is sometimes called the Book of Glory, which tells the story of the journey to the cross, the glory of Jesus' mission and revelation of God's love, his return to God and his empowering of the disciples to be witnesses to his glory in the world. And at the crux, the pivot point between the two of these books is the innocent story we read here today. And the passage begins innocently enough. There are some Greeks who want to see Jesus. And they ask Philip, a disciple with a Greek name, to make the introduction. And Philip and Andrew take their request to Jesus. Well, we can stop here for a moment because these Greeks might be the thing that stays with us from this passage. We know nothing about them really except that they are in Jerusalem. And so we could speculate that they are people intrigued by the faith that they see practiced there. Maybe they're seeking to join, to know more, seeking revelation from this God that people worship with such passion. In our day, we might see them as seekers after faith, or as every Christian person of faith, people with a desire to see Jesus more clearly, to see and know his way of life and love, to experience spiritual intimacy and divine revelation. Strangely, we never hear if they get to see Jesus, because this is their last mention of them. The question is set up, as so many things are in John's Gospel, for Jesus to launch into a sermon and parable that is meant to answer the spiritual rather than practical question of seeing Jesus. And the parable is very short, just one sentence. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Like all the parables, Jesus is using the most common of contemporary images, something everyone would know and see, that the life of the plant, the crop, comes from the death of the seed buried in the earth. And unusually, attached to this parable is an explanation, that the followers of Jesus must lose their life to gain eternal life. And Christian teaching, we'll have heard if you've been in church, is full of this imagery, related to the death of Jesus and his resurrection, that Followers of Christ are people who must die to their self and live to Christ. It might remind us of St. Paul's words, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if we dwell with this passage, we might ask ourselves what it is that it needs to die so that Christ may live. 
It's dramatic and challenging language as death always is. Well, we might start by thinking about our time and society, which has evolved both healthy but also unhealthy ways of being in God's world. A consumer culture that hurts God's creation. Perhaps there is something about our need to acquire, to own, and to judge worth via possessions and money that needs to die. And when we do that, we might start finding true values coming to life in us and in our communities, in our world. Perhaps in us, our own lives, there's an addiction or a sinful attitude, a prejudice that needs to die so that we may be more fully alive and in empathetic relationship with others. Maybe resentment and revenge needs to die so we are released from the hurt. We call that forgiveness. And I know well that it's easier said than done. Perhaps bad habits need to die so we can be healthier. Or we need to die to apathy so we are free to make a difference. There are so many ways of being that, once dead, give us the opportunity for resurrection to live it out. New life for ourselves and the world. And when those things die in us, we are changed and others notice that there is life happening. We're growing like a seed that's fallen into the soil, that puts down its root into good things so that it can rise into the light above. The tone of our passage finishes with a short paragraph that clearly moves us into the darker narrative heading towards the cross. Jesus asks if he should be spared from this hour, but he doesn't, because however difficult he knows that death will bring life and show the glory to God of God in the world God made. As Jesus speaks, a voice is heard. Some think it's thunder, but it is interpreted as an encouragement, an affirmation from God. Yes, in the difficulty, as Jesus is lifted up, all people will see the consequences of sin, of the ways of life that bring death, and thus be given the challenge to choose life. Let us pray. God, give us the courage to die to sin, to put aside the ways of being, thinking, speaking, living or understanding that bring death to ourselves and others and your world, and help us to embrace the way of your Son, that in loving you, our neighbour and ourselves, we may find life. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. Go safely and God bless you.